we've sang about praising him now I wonder if we could lift our voice come on lift your voice could you praise the name of Jesus it's a name that's above every name he's the king above all kings he's the Lord of all lords we praise you today Jesus we worship you Lord we bless your name today God we bless your name today Jesus hallelujah 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 thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord what a sweet presence of the Lord that is in this place today I will praise you Jesus I will praise you Lord we worship you God we worship you God we worship you God thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Lord 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 I love you Jesus I love you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Can you thank him for that word today? Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you have, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 13. This was or has been your first time hearing uh, what just took place in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul writing to a spirit-filled church, church that has experienced the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And he begins to tell them how there are spiritual gifts. These are not physical gifts. These are not uh, man-made gifts, but these are heavenly gifts that the Lord would have for his church. A word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. He said there's a gift of healing and miracles, a gift of faith. Then he said there's, there's tongues and there's the interpretation of tongues. These are not manufactured or memorized words that people just speak, and we don't rehearse this, but this is the Spirit of God speaking to his church. And so he said, by two or three at the most, and then let someone interpret. Uh, Paul had said uh, earlier on, he said, you know, tongues, tongues doesn't profit the body, it profits the person, but when there's an interpretation, then it profits the body. And so what you saw today was not disorder, was biblical. And if you would like to learn more about it, please come and see me. And I'd be happy to share more with you about that. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verse number 22. We've been camped out here for the last three weeks. And uh, I hope to make it another, another week or two. I don't know. If you really are like done with David, just come and let me know privately. And I'll, I'll consider it. But ultimately what God gives me, I'm going to preach. Um, but usually I've, I've, I've gone three weeks with a series. You know, they, they say a three-legged stool is the most stable. And, and I don't know if that relates at all to preaching. But, you know, um, you do with that as you will. Um, Acts 13. And, and I will say this. You know, we, we've tried to mark it tonight. And um, I was going to call it a night of psalms and palms, um, our psalms and praise. 
Um, but we've been, we've been uh, camped out in the Psalms the last couple weeks, and uh, so we thought it would be fitting to have a night of worship, and, and sprinkled throughout the night, we're going to be looking at different Psalms of praise that David wrote, and uh, so come, come and be a part of it. It will be an hour, and uh, you know, I, sometimes people say worship isn't long enough, and uh, so tonight is the night for you, and so tonight, tonight, tonight is your Super Bowl of worship, and so you come and... Uh, and uh, there will be limited commercials, but we will have a good time together in the Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says, And when he had removed him, him being Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. We, we've been talking about that statement, a man after mine own heart. And we've been saying that that really when you look at David, you have to look at the contents of more than just a singular attribute of what made him a man after God's own heart, but there is a multiplicity of things that we could say God saw and said, that's a man after my own heart. David was a man who was consistently humble. We've talked about that. He was humble at every stage of his life. David was a man who continually prayed. He, he, he sought relationship. And more than just relationship with God, he wanted to be in right standing with God. And so when he sinned, and David was by no means perfect, he sinned. He murdered a man. He committed adultery. But David had a way of going to God and, and getting back into that right standing with him. And last week we talked about how David was a, a man who courageously led and he had courage. All, we know him to be a man of, of war, but, but he, he led for a cause, and he led for his family, and he led for his country. And so today I want to, I, I feel like the message has been preached in more ways than, than one, but I want to I talk to you on this topic, that David uh, was a man that completely worshipped. He completely worshipped. So if you would set your Bibles down, and um, if you would just lift your hands with me and let's just ask God to open our hearts and open our minds for what he wants to do in this place. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, we love you today. We praise you, God, for your presence. We praise you for what has taken place up until this point. We're so humble, God, that you would speak to us, that you would, uh, you would abide amongst your people. And we ask that right now, God, that you... Lord, would move up and down. You would dispatch your angels, Lord, to, to rid anything that would distract or hinder a spirit of accusation or intimidation. We bind it in the name of Jesus and we, we loose, Lord, power and love and soundness of mind. Let faith be in this room. Let ears be opened to hear what thus saith the Lord. We love you and we praise you today and give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands into the Lord as you are seated in this place. David was a, a man after God's own heart. As you read through the life of David, which it's amazing how much content we have on David's life, chapters devoted to the life and ministry of David. But as you study David out, it, it becomes quickly apparent that there were many titles and or statements that were assigned to and said of David. David was a shepherd boy. He was a, a musician in the courts of Saul. He was a faithful friend to Jonathan, a, a mighty man of valor. We, we know David to be a warrior. They said Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. He, he was a leader of some, some really bad dudes called the mighty men. David's mighty men. They, they did fierce things for David. David said one day, I'm thirsty, and there was no water where they were. And so these men were so loyal to David that they fought their way to where there was water, and they got him some water to drink, and they brought it back. And, and when David got it, he, he dumped it on the ground. Imagine, imagine that. Um, I have to imagine what I would have done in that instance. Um, so he had... Mighty men that he led. He was also the king of Judah and eventually the king of Israel. But what's interesting is not all the titles that we would ascribe to David and all the ways that we would remember David. But what's, what's interesting that 
at the end of his life, when the prophet Samuel would write about him, he would choose to identify David this way. In 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, the first verse, he said, Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Understand, it wasn't, it wasn't David's position and roles that the prophet highlighted. It wasn't, it wasn't his accomplishments or his resume that he chose to identify David by. It wasn't the headlines in the Jerusalem Times or what people were, were, were posting on whatever book back in that day about David. He wasn't too interested in what the folklore or the, the, the lore of David was. But, but rather when Samuel chose to, to identify David, it was his relationship with God that he identified him by. It, it was the role, not of what David fulfilled, but the role of what God did through David that Samuel chose to focus on. Samuel knew that, that, that David's success wasn't him, but that the true source of his success was God. That, that everything that David was, everything David would become, was because of God. And so he said, David, the son of Jesse. He, he says that because he's speaking of a man who came from humble beginnings. David wasn't royalty. He didn't grow up in wealth. David was a poor shepherd boy. He came from, from a, a family that was humble and of small beginnings. He, he said he was a man raised up on high. And we, we, we captured this in the first week, that, that as David humbled himself, it was God who raised him up. That David, David didn't self-promote. David didn't, he didn't posture for position. David wasn't trying to make a name for himself, but the, the closer he got to God, the lower he got, the more God raised him up. And he said he's a man raised up on high. He said he was anointed by God, not, not self-appointed or elected by others, but anointed and selected by God. And then he calls him this, the sweet psalmist of Israel. As a dude, I don't know if I'd be too cool with someone calling me the sweet psalmist of New Berlin. I mean, Joe, if you want to call me that, you can. I might avoid you for a couple weeks just to hope it wears off. But that's what they knew. The sweet psalmist of Israel. We know that David, out of the 150 psalms, David wrote 73 of those. They were songs not written for public applause, but for private adoration. Songs of worship written and expressed from the deepest places of David's heart. And within the Psalms, like a mosaic, we get fragmented pieces that give insight into David's relationship with God. And we clearly see, and this is the first thing we see about him, and like my points have been in the past, this is another very deep first point. We see that David had an attitude of worship. Look at your neighbor and say he had an attitude of worship. 2 Samuel 6 is a joyous occasion for Israel. But, but to understand the joy of 2 Samuel chapter 6, we have to move back a little bit. Because prior to Samuel becoming prophet, uh, there was Eli that was on the scene. And Eli was a, a man, he was a judge, and he was a high priest. And uh, Eli, we come to find, is... Uh, we don't get much of the backstory, but we do see something very important about Eli. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Think about those names, right? Eh, any pregnant mothers in the room? Try Hophni or Phinehas. Actually, after I tell you what they did, you probably won't want to call your sons Hophni and Phinehas. But, but Hophni and Phinehas treated the sacred with contempt. They, they, they would go as temple assistants 
to the high priest, their father, and they would steal from the sacrifice, that which was sacred, that which was set apart. They would treat it as average. They had relationship with women. They, they, they were men that were, were, were not obedient to the word of God. And, and because of this, the Lord raises up Samuel. Samuel, just a young boy, he goes to Eli in the night and he says, here am I. And Samuel eventually realizes that the Lord's dealing with Samuel's heart. And he says, hey, the next time you hear him say, here am I, what do you want to say to me? And, and in that moment, the Lord speaks to Samuel. And the, and the Lord tells him what's taking place. He's, he tells him that judgment is coming on the house of Eli and his family. And, and so we get uh, speed forward. Hophni and Phinehas lead their 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 army out into battle against the Philistines who would become a famous foe of Israel. And, and, and the Israelites understand this. They're the people of God. They have a track record for winning. Yes, they have a track record for failing, but, but every time they called out to God, God would answer and God would deliver them. And so here they go out on the battlefield that day, and, and I'm guessing they probably had a little, uh, a little pride about them, and they, they probably just thought that maybe, just maybe, this was going to be an easy one, and much to their surprise, they lose handsomely. They, they lose 4,000 men that day. And it's a shot to their confidence. It's, it's a shot to them. And it says the elders remarked this way. They said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? They, they, didn't, they didn't say, Jim, we were outmatched. They didn't say we had a bad day. They, they realized we've lost this battle, and, and it's not the enemy. That, that's why we, why, why did God allow us to lose this battle? And so they, they say, ah, I know. Instead of asking God, they, they said, I know what we'll do. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant, the manifest presence of God, the place where his presence resides, and let's bring this out to battle with us. And surely, with the presence of God with us, we're not going to have any problems. And Scripture says they bring out the Ark of the Covenant, and it says the shout was so loud that the ground began to shake. Hope was restored. Faith was restored. Confidence was regained. They were like, we got this. We, we realized the missing ingredient. We didn't have God's presence. And they go out to battle, and this time they lose 50,000 men. And they lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant settles by the Philistines. It's, it's a sad day for Israel. It's a, it's a dark day for Israel. It's a, it's a dark day when the very thing that represents the presence of God is snatched away. But the Philistines fail to realize something very important. Yes, you have beated, you have destroyed, or you've defeated a, a, a foe, but now you're fighting their God. This God has never lost a battle. This God doesn't have off days. This God doesn't just one day just say, oh, oops, and lose. No, no, he is undefeated. And so the Lord uh, wreaks havoc on the Philistines. They bring it into the house of their God, Dagon. And Dagon keeps falling over and eventually his head and arms falls off. And the people break out into tumors. The people of Ashdod are ravaged with tumors. And so they say, nope, nope, it's not here. Let's take it to Gad. And in Gad, there's destruction that comes upon their city. And then they send it to Ekron and great tumors and destruction fall on the people there. For seven months... The Philistines, uh, not one sword is raised against them. Not, not one Israelite troop is sneaking around. But, but in seven months, more damage and destruction happens to these people because they're housing something that they have no right housing. Right. These, these, these false worshiping God people, these, these, these people who don't fear the name of God are, are holding on to the very manifest presence of God. And so they say, we can't, we can't do this. And so they send it off to Kiriath-Jerim. And we see that, which is kind of confusing as you study it out, it rests in Kiriath-Jerim for, for probably 20, maybe 30, depending upon how long Saul's reign was. Saul's reign possibly 40 years. And then David reigned another seven years in Judah. So let's just call it 47 years. Nobody goes looking for it. Saul doesn't say, we need to get back the presence of God. But he's just comfortable with it being in Kirjath-Jerim. David becomes king, the king of Judah. And as we said, and we, when we closed out last week, when David comes into Jerusalem, that sweet city, and, and, and the Jebusites meet him at the gate, he goes, nah, I'm coming in and you're getting out. 
and, and he evicts the Jebusites. And, and one of his first priorities after going and defeating the Philistines is he says, it's time to get the Ark of the Lord back. It's time to get the ark. David, a man who loved the presence of the Lord. David, a man who had fallen in love with God, said, hey, it's time to get it back. But what's interesting is the Philistines found a way to transport the Ark of the Covenant. They put it on a cart. But, but clearly in Scripture, that was not the way that the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. And so David and his men, David makes a fatal flaw. He, he tries to carry the presence like the world carries the presence. I want you to know something that this point can preach, and we'll just preach it for a second, but we don't do things the world does. We, we don't get our marching orders on how we serve God from the world. We are not competing with the world. Our worship is not competing with their worship. Our preaching is not competing with their preaching. No, we preach what the Lord says. We do what the Word of God says. We don't deviate from it. And as culture changes and, and as people's minds change, change we don't change because the word of God is forever settled in heaven and, and, and so David says well if it was good enough for the Philistines it's good enough for us and they begin to transport the ark of the covenant and it hits a, a pothole and it begins to stumble and Uzzah who, who has good intention in his heart who I'm sure loves the Lord and, and, and fears him reaches out to steady the ark of the covenant you are not to touch it there's staves that you were to put in it and you were to carry, you were to bury it on your shoulder, bear the burden on your shoulders. And Uzzah touches it and the Lord immediately kills it. And David is, is all sorts of emotions, fearful, upset. I'm trying to do something good, Lord. And, and, and again, I think this serves a point. You can have the best intentions, but if you're not doing it according to the word of God, your intentions fall short. You, you can have the purest motives and the purest desires, but, but if you're not worshiping God and not living the way that he wants you to live, this isn't a, hey, you did good enough. No, no, he holds you accountable to what you know and what you read. And so salvation is clearly spelled out in the word of God. You need to repent. You need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we don't say, well, I guess it's just good enough if you just say the sinner's prayer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And so we, we don't say it's good enough. No, we say if the word of God says it, that's what we do. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We don't have to debate it. We don't have to discuss it. We don't have to get here and, and try to posture and what the Greek and the Hebrew. No, if what's clearly outlined in the word of God and what clearly Jesus taught and what clearly the disciples followed, that's what we do. And so I don't care what these denominal faiths want to do. I've seen some of these, these, these big-name preachers, and it seems like every month they're changing their stance on cultural issues. We're not trying to draw a crowd. We, we know in the last days that there's going to be a falling away from the church. We're not trying to make this easier. We're, we're trying to make sure we abide by every jot and tittle that is written in the Word of God. So the Ark of the Covenant rests in Obed-Edom. And for three months, God's favor rests on the family. For three months, God's provision and faithfulness meets them. For, for three months, the house of Obed-Edom is blessed. And David sees what's taking place in Obed-Edom and goes, no, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant needs to come back. And Scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 12, that it was told to David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. Again, now they're bearing it. They're doing it the right way. And as they would go six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. David had an attitude of worship for the Lord. I, I know this may seem obvious, but, but just allow me a couple seconds, minutes to, 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 to tell you what I mean. Th this wasn't superficial or conditional. Th this wasn't an act or a show by David, but there was something deep inside 
of David. I, I know you said it's not all feeling, but it starts with feeling. It starts inside of us, and David had deep feelings for the house of God. David would say this in Psalms 42 and 1. He said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you. He said, as the deer desires water, so deep down inside of me, God, there's something that desires you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Psalm 63 and 1, he would say, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Listen to that language. My, my soul thirsts for you. Think about the last time you were so thirsty and you just ran to, to a bubbler and you put your mouth on the thing. You didn't even mad, you didn't care that the last five-year-old had their mouth in there. You were so thirsty that you were going to get as close as you could. And that's what David said. He said, my, my soul, it, it thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He's not talking about physical provision. He's talking about a spiritual desire for the Lord. He's saying there's something inside of me that just desires you, God. Psalms 84 and 1, he said, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. How my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Uh, understand something. Worship is as much an external action as it is an internal attitude. It's as much about what you do as it is about how you feel and what you think. Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you see people here that are acting a fool on a Sunday morning and you don't realize that deep within them is a longing and a hunger and a desire and gratitude and thankfulness and they can't help but, but say hallelujah. hallelujah. The, the, old, the old Bishop Patterson wrote a song. He said, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank you, God, for saving me. He said, it's not, it's not just inside of me, but it comes out of me. Worship starts from within it. Eventually, it works its way out. And we see this in David. So how can you tell if you have an attitude of worship? When your praise is not conditional on what God's done for you. When your praise is not dictated on how you feel that day. I'm sorry, Pastor. I didn't clap my hands. I didn't worship today. I'm just tired. I just didn't feel like worshiping God today. I can tell you, you don't have an attitude of worship. Because I can't help it on even... The, 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 the longest days and even and the driest moments in my life, when I think about God, there's something inside of me that just begins to well up and I can't control it. I can try to suppress it as much as I want, but when the songs start going, uh, tears start to flood my eyes and my foot begins to tap and, my hand, and I can't help but lift my hands. They might feel heavy in the moment, but I say, listen, body, you're not telling me what I can and cannot do. So I praise the Lord. It's a, it's a visceral response of our soul. Something inside that needs to be let out. David would say this in the cave of Adullam. Here's a man that's, that's running for his life. Saul's trying to kill him. He, he just had to feign himself mad in front of the king to, to avoid being killed. And, and you would imagine the emotional state David should have been in. You, you can imagine how, how he could have played the victim card and how he could have questioned God. But instead, David writes this. He says in Psalms 34 and 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. He, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Well, David, let's put you to the test. You fail really bad. You make a big mistake. You get Bathsheba pregnant, and the baby comes out, and the Lord's judgment comes on that baby. And for days you fast and you pray, and the Lord hears your prayer, but the Lord decides not to heal that baby, and the Lord takes the baby. What are you going to do in that moment? And Scripture tells us this. When David saw that his servant, in 2 Samuel 12, Servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servant, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. He said, I'm going to take off my, my garment that, that is 
sorrow. I'm going to take out my garments that are heavy and I'm going to switch it with a garment of praise and I'm going to go into the house of the Lord. You say, I'm sick. I can't come to the house of the Lord. You say, you don't realize what just happened to me. I can't come to the house of the Lord. David said, that's the only place that I want to go. When things are not going good, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So that means I will praise him when things are going good. And I will praise him when things are going bad. I'll praise him when I'm healthy and happy. And I'll praise him when I'm sick and I'm sad. I'll praise him when my bank account is full. And I'll praise him when my bank account is empty. There are no circumstances. There are no conditions. Because whatever is within me, whatever the circumstance, my heart and my soul has to praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. But pastor, you don't know my circumstances. There's always one. You don't know what I've been through. I've been through a hard life. I got nothing to be thankful for. Hey, have you ever just thought about all the things to be thankful for from the moment you get out of bed? That the fact that you had an alarm clock that went off meant you have a home that you can sleep in and means that you have electricity in that house. That already puts you apart. You're ahead of most people in this world. And then you can walk out of bed. First of all, it means your lungs are working and your, your brain is telling you that what to do. And there are people cognitively that they're, they're there, but they're not. And your body says, hey, foot, get out of the bed. Other foot, get out over the bed. And you can get up. And yes, you might feel achy. Yes, you may feel beaten down, but you have the ability to stand. And then you can walk over to cupboards and there might be only one box of cereal and it might be just crumbs but at least you have something that you can put in a bowl and you can eat you have more to be thankful for than you know it and so sometimes I think what we need to do is we need to stop and consider all the good things that he's done for me stop looking at all the bad things that are taking place in this world stop looking at all the bad things that are happening in your life and instead turn that upside down and say I am blessed David had an attitude of worship, and so must we. The second thing we see about David is not only did he have an attitude of worship, but he was an active worshiper. His attitude was so exuberant that day, the Ark of the Covenant came back to Israel. That scripture says in 2 Samuel 6 and 14, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. David didn't just feel grateful and excited. He didn't just say, my heart is full today. I'm overwhelmed with emotions. I almost cried today. I just felt it. It was about to come. David didn't just feel something. But those feelings bubbled up outside of David. And David couldn't control himself. And David began to express what he felt as he danced in the presence of the Lord. You see, David wouldn't allow his praise and worship to be merely contained to an internal attitude. But he was excited and thankful that he had to externally act it out. And so he, he danced publicly in the presence of the Lord. Here's the king of Israel. The, the, the man who, who can point at someone and say, you're done. And they're done. The, the man who should be dignified. The man who should be put together. The man who, who has more riches than anyone else that, that should show his wealth and should show his stature. But in that moment that the presence of the Lord was, he, he, he took off his kingly robes and he got, uh, some would say he got uh, possibly to a little, very little clothing, if any clothing. And, and David began to dance in the presence of the Lord. He, he didn't care what you thought. He didn't care what anyone thought because he wanted to praise the Lord. And so he praised him. But praise is an interesting word if you think about it. In English, we say praise, and I guess it's subjective to what you think praise is. 
And so I could pass this microphone around and I could say, what is praise? And you could say, praise is a song service that you go to. Some could say praise is, is clapping your hands. Some could say praise is, is, is saying good things and positive things about God. But, but when you look in the Hebrew, there are seven words that describe praise. And I, I want to use this as a moment to give explanation. If maybe you've been here and, and you see some people acting a fool and you think, what is up with that person? Um, I want to give you some, some context that everything we do is in the Bible. It's scriptural. The, the first word is halal. And it's where we get, uh, it's, it's the root word of where we get hallelujah. And so basically, it, it means to praise Jehovah, Yah. And the word halal means to be clear, to praise, to shine, to boast, to show, to rave, to celebrate, and to be clamorously foolish. So we started with the best one first, right? So, so if you think someone hidden here, if you leaned over to the person you came with and said that person is acting clamorously foolish, first of all, good for you for using that vocabulary. I love it. I want to talk more with you. Um, I want to introduce the word anthropomorphism into that. But, but, but Scripture says that they should. Psalms 151 says, praise or halal the Lord. Praise God where? In his sanctuary. So, so we're in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Three, three times, three commands, we are to celebrate the Lord. We are to clamorously act foolish. We are to boast and we are to rave. It's like you mothers who are so proud of little Benny who went to school and he made just the beautiful masterpiece and you've taken pictures and you posted it on Facebook and you said, my son, he's like the next Picasso and we're going to sell these and we're going to pay off the mortgage. You clamorously act foolish and you celebrate young Jimmy. But we're to do that about God. We're, we're to boast, not in ourself, we are to boast in the Lord. And so when we get together, we're, we're not celebrating the singers, we're not celebrating the drummer, although he's very good, but we are celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for everything he has done and everything that he has been to us. And so in those moments, we start acting a little foolish, we get a little crazy, we, we do things that maybe you wouldn't do anywhere else because he's been so good to us. The next word is, is yada, not Yoda, yada. But help you, I will with this word. Yada means... I scored points with, with a very small minority of people. For those of you that don't know, don't ask. Because they will tell you. They will tell you a lot. Yada, it means the extended hand, to throw out the hand, therefore to worship with extended hand, to lift your hands. And so the psalmist said, thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. And so why do we lift our hands? Well, the scripture tells us to lift our hands. But, but think about lifting hands. Think about the people who lift their hands. Uh, when I was a child and I needed my, my mother or my father's attention, and, and I was in a place where I couldn't maybe do things on my own, I was upset. When you're a suspect and, and, and you get in trouble with the law, they might say. And so some places, it, it's a form of surrender. And so that's what we're doing when we're coming into the presence of God. We are worshiping him and we're lifting up our hands and we're saying, I surrender to you. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And so sometimes we get into the presence of God and, and we feel overwhelmed by what we feel and maybe we don't know what we're feeling and maybe we don't know how to respond and all we can do is just lift our hands in the air. And it almost becomes like an antenna because it tunes us into his presence. It, it tunes us into his spirit. And all of a sudden as you do that, you begin to feel the warmth of his presence come in and you can give him a yada praise. The, the next is toda. This comes from the same principal root as yada, but it means an extension of the hand in adoration, but, but, but it pushes it a little further. It, it, it means that when I do a toda praise, that I'm, I'm thanking God for things not yet received. I know I can praise him for what he's done, but when I do a, a toda, Scripture says, offer God toda, thanksgiving. 
And I can begin to say, Lord, I, I know the battle has not been won, but I know it's going to be. I know the healing has not come, but I know you can do it. I know the bank account is looking very meager, but I know if you want, you can fill it. Lord, I know that you have never forsaken the righteous. Lord, I know you order my steps, and so I'm going to give you praise even when it hasn't happened. I'm going to give you praise because I know you're capable. I know you're more than able, and I'm going to praise you like you've already done it. And so we can give him a toda praise. We can give him a toda praise. Then there's Shabak. Say Shabak. Shabak. Shabak means to commend or to, to, to make a loud voice, a loud exuberant voice. It's to shout. It's to address in a loud tone. Some people, they speak normally with Shabak. We'll be out to eat and my wife will say, baby, I'm right here. You don't have to yell. I'm excited about this. I want to tell you. She's like, we're out to eat. We don't need to tell all the tables next to us. Psalms 47 and 1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. That's also why we clap our hands, because Scripture tells us to. And shout to God with a voice of triumph. Uh, on the day the Ark of the Covenant came, it said, David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of a trumpet. And, and so, yes, sometimes we get here, and this is not a library. You, you don't have to be quiet. Nobody's taking a test. But when you come into the presence of the Lord, that's why I say, lift your voice. Shout unto God with a shout of praise. Praise Him for the victory. Add some volume to it. One, one preacher said it this way. One preacher said, he said, the enemy is called the prince of the power of the air. And so when we begin to shout, shouting is something that agitates the sound waves. It agitates the air. So think about this. When I begin to praise God with a loud shout, I, I, I begin to agitate the enemy's atmosphere. I, I begin to agitate the enemy's adversary with praise unto our God. And he might think he's winning but I can shout with a loud voice and praise him. Listen, listen. If, if you can do it in a concert, I can do it in church. If you can go to the Super Bowl tonight and you can shout your heart out, I can do it in church. Stop thinking it's weird here when you'll go there and do it. I can do it. If you can do it, there. if you want to dance at a game, I'm going to dance at church. If you want to clap for a player, I'm going to clap for a king. If you're going to praise a player, I'm going to praise my God. And so we shout with a voice of triumph. Then there's Barak, not the president, but praise. Barak means to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration, to salute. And so that's why you see people coming to the altar and they bow their knees. They, they kneel down. Scripture says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Again, this is all biblical, what we're doing. This is not something fabricated. This is not sensationalism. This is not just emotion. But no, we, we, are, we are excited for what God is doing and what God has done. And so when we come into his presence, sometimes we can't help but just fall to our knees because we know how great of a God he is and he's our king. And so that means I'm I'm his servant, and so I can bow before him in adoration and in praise. And I can give him a Barak praise. How, how about Zamar? Zamar is to pluck the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise. That musical word which largely involves joyful expression of music with instruments. And so you can uh, say that why we're doing this with the drums and with the piano and with the guitar, that this is all biblical. It's a Zamar praise. These musicians are not up here just playing for a concert, but they're giving praise to God with their instruments. They're giving praise to God with the bass and with the electric guitar. They're giving God praise with the drums and on the high-sounding cymbals and on the, on the low-sounding cymbals and on the china. Right? They're, they're giving God praise on all of it because it's praise unto God. And then we add, we end with Tehillah. Tehillah means to sing or to loud. It's perceived to involve music, especially singing hymns, the spirit of praise. Isaiah said to console, console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, Tehillah, for a spirit of heaviness, the garment of singing. I, I know, I know you might not have a good voice, Right? You might say, I'm, I'm a tenor, 10 or 12 miles away, right? The only place I sing is in the car or in the shower. But when you come here 
again, this isn't a concert. This isn't a performance. If we ever get to the place where we think we're enjoying a show before, before preaching, no, that's not what we're doing. But we're coming together and we're raising our voices, whether you can sing uh, alto, tenor, or soprano, or you can do all three at the same time. We are giving the Lord praise with our lips because of how good he's been to us. And so you say, well, again, again, that's good for you. You don't realize, you may not know this, I took the personality profile, and I'm an introvert. We don't do that. Singing exhausts us. After I sing, I have to go lay down for three hours. I'm an IMGF. That means we don't lift our hands in public because people look, and we're not about people looking. So Scripture says this. It says, Here's the qualifying factor. So if you're wondering, I don't know, I mean, he's, he's making a good point, but I, I'm still not sold, okay? Should I really? This is me closing the deal, Candace, okay? Scripture says, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. I don't know if I can praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I I don't know if I can sing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I, I don't know if I can dance or worship. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I don't know if I can clap my hands. Let everything that has breath praise. I don't know about you, but I don't think we can go any further without offering some praise to the Lord. Could you lift your voice and begin to praise Him in the way you know how, in the way you feel comfortable? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Remain standing with me. I, I got so much more, but, but this is, I think, where God wants us to stop. He, he told me over there, he said, you'll know when to stop. And I said, okay. David dances, he acts a fool. And as David, my, my, my third point was going to be that he was authentic in it. It wasn't a show. It wasn't for the approval or the applause of other people. Musicians, singers, you're not doing this for the approval or the, or the applause of someone else. Let me speak to my musicians and my singers. If you get down from the platform and someone doesn't give you, give you a pat on the back and say you did a good job, you're not doing it for them. You don't play and you don't sing for someone else. You don't play to, to get a pat on the back, to hear well done. No, you're doing it for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And David gets, David gets done and he, he goes and, and there's Michal, his wife. And, and David was authentic. But Mikal has an attitude. Who, who do you think you are? You're, you're the king. You're not to act this way. You, you've acted like a fool. And scripture said she despised him in her heart. She said how glorious was the king today, uncovering himself in front of all the maidens. You can just hear the sarcasm in her voice. And I've realized this. I've realized with every David, there's a couple of Macals. That every time praise goes on in every church, there's Macals sitting in the audience, critics looking at them. I remember my first winter youth convention as the youth president. Remember, we had a, a powerful move of God. It was an incredible worship. One of, one of those worship services where you feel like just everybody's life was touched. And when I got done, I had someone come up to me and they said, oh man, that was, the best. That was life changing. And I said, I know. Oh, those songs were incredible. I said, I know. And I had someone come up to me and said, tonight was, was weird. The songs were too long. You sang too loud. And then I kept walking a little further and someone said, pre-service prayer was dynamic. I, I think we just set the tone from the first moment of pre-service. It just, I said, yeah, I believe it. And the next person said, you didn't even pray long enough. You, you prayed for what, five minutes? If you're going to be the youth president, we need to pray for at least longer. And I realized with every David, 
There's a Macau. We sing too many songs. Oh, we sing too few songs. We, we sing too many old songs. We sing too many new songs. We, we sing too long. We sing too short. It's too loud. It's too quiet. You're off. You're on. And if we're not careful, we become critics instead of worshipers. God didn't give you the job of being the critic of the service. The last time I checked, he's the judge. And if someone is out of line, he's the one who corrects. God gave spiritual authority to correct. And so let me just relieve all the Macals in the room today. You can take off that role and you can put on a garment of praise. David says to her, if you think I'm undignified, girl, you've not seen nothing yet. If you're saying that I, I need to be quiet, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to be louder. He, he said, as a matter of fact, I, when I do this, it, there's a humble nature inside of me. He said, I, I'm not trying to get accolades. I'm not trying to get approval. I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to get people's attention because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for the Lord. And, and so when you praise, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me take this a step further. You're also not doing it for yourself. Hear me very carefully today. I feel like we've, we've westernized praise. I'm going to make these statements, and I, I believe there's value in them, but I think we've misunderstood them. We say we're, we're praising for a victory, and, and praise precedes victory. Yes, it does, but praise is not manipulation. Praise is not greasing the wheel. Praise is not saying, I'm going to sing a couple verses and I'm going to get whatever I want from God. No, we don't praise for what we want. We praise Him for what He's done and for who He is and how great He is. And I'm not trying to get another thing from Him because He's done so much for me. Come on, lift your hands and lift your voice in this place. Come on, let everything that has breath praise the Lord today. Come on, let a spirit of worship break out in this place. Do what you feel comfortable in this place. If you want to come down to the altar, you can come down to the altar. If you want to link arms with the brother. But can we take a moment to just praise him for what he has done and for who he is. I'm not going to let a rock cry out in my place. I'm not going to let a rock take my place. He's worthy of all the praise. Oh, come on, my 